Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 360, air date September 25th, 2018. So I'm going to play for you a video. We don't produce enough engineers, we don't produce enough doctors. What we do is produce a bunch of scumbag lawyer lobbyists like Elizabeth Warren. They're not come here and have a discussion about racism. That's right, you're the racist boy. Racist, 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 racist. Look at the racist. No, please, now. Stop, stop, stop. Stop, stop, stop. I'm okay, I'm fine. That's racism, right there. Right, you're the racist. Racist. That's what you guys do. Violent left. Violent liberal. The liberal fascist. You don't know what racism is. Look at you. You've never experienced it. White privilege is white privilege. Living in barracks and eating your organic food while Elizabeth Warren poisons everyone else. Singing your stupid bloody song. Wake up, America. I was just hit in the face with a guy when I called him a racist. That's what's going on, guys. This is how these white privileged white supremacists react. What you just witnessed is how you white supremacists react when you don't want to hear the truth from a dark-skinned Indian guy, the same guy you claim you want to help. Let me read to you what happened since that moment, if you don't know what happened. And his name's Shiva, of course. Ayuduari. Ayuduari. How's that? Ayuduari. Dr. Shiva. And there's a. Uh, this is what happened since that event happened, since that assault, okay? It says, victory for Shiva Ayuduari. Judge finds assailant guilty of assault and battery and disorderly conduct. It says, uh, Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Today, Judge Paul Vrebel uh, of the District Court of Great Barrington ruled against the assailant of Dr. Shiva on July 22, 2018. Defendant Paul Soloway, wearing a white t-shirt and blazing with, quote, liberal, punched a megaphone into the face of Dr. Shiva because he, dis- he disagreed with Dr. Ayuduari's position on racism in America. It says, Solovey was immediately arrested and later arraigned. However, Elizabeth Warren allowed Mr. Solovey back into her town hall and provided VIP treatment along with other members of the press. Mr. Solovey's lawyer was attempting to have the case dismissed. However, Judge Vrabel found Solovey guilty of assault and battery and disorderly conduct. Judge Vrabel allowed Dr. Ayuduari to make a victim impact statement, which is what I really enjoyed and look forward to discussing uh, with Shiva. And here's the awesome letter that was written. I really like this letter a lot, so let me read that. Yes, Massachusetts. Uh, This was August 16th, 2018, so not long back. Thank you. uh, It says, thank, where is it here? Uh, Thank uh, you, Honor, for providing me the opportunity to address the court. My statement will be brief. Nearly 48 years ago, my parents, my sister, and I left India to come to America to escape the oppressive caste system of India where we were considered low-caste untouchables. Excuse me. I grew up in New Jersey in places like Patterson and worked as a kid in Newark. Like every other American kid, I played baseball, mowed lawns, learned the value of hard work. I've also experienced racism and fought racism and discrimination all my life personally and as an activist. Racism, therefore, is neither a a vicarious nor uh, theoretical, sorry, the print is in script, theoretical nor a profit-making artistic activity for me. As someone who loves this country and is running for U.S. Senate as an independent candidate, I do not believe violence is the answer. Discourse, speaking to one another, free speech, nonviolent civil disobedience, and protest, what I learned from Gandhi, the great nonviolent leader who MLK emulated himself 
after is what leads to truth, uh, real understanding. This is particularly important for us to be reminded of yesterday, August 15th, Your Honor, was the anniversary of the Indian Independence Day. Violence individually as occurred to me on July 22nd in Charlottesville a year ago is not the answer. We need discourse and free speech to discuss important issues such as race, racism as Americans. For far too long, Americans, those discriminating or fight racism, liberal or otherwise, have monopolized that discourse and have no right to use violence to suppress opposing views. The picture of a white man emblazoned with liberal on his t-shirt punching and shoving a megaphone down the throat of a black Indian man because he disagreed with his viewpoint should be a wake-up call. The America my parents and I cherish and which is my and your beloved home deserves far better. I leave you, my honor, and the court to render the judgment on the best path forward. That was fantastic. I like the letter a lot. And you can find that information at um, shivaforsenate.com. All right, everyone, we're gonna be good to go here for the interview. That was Shiva. All right, I'd like to welcome Shiva. Can you hear me? Good morning. Yeah, Mike, I can hear you. I don't see video, but I assume that's okay. That's okay. They can see both of us at the same time on the show. Thank you very much for joining this morning. We got the technical difficulties worked out. The uh, I just got done, Shiva, reading the audience your awesome letter that you sent back to the judge uh, after uh, the state after uh, the ruling, and that was a very well written letter. Has anything transpired <laughs> since that moment? You're talking about the uh, debate stage issue, right? I am. Yes. Uh, well, the interesting thing is your guys are getting sort of the exclusive. Last night, the uh, counsel for the University of Massachusetts, by the way, the University of Massachusetts is a federally funded state university, which means it's a government institution, mm-hmm. which had invited me to what was called the one debate, which had this criteria, which said I had to hit a 15%, I think, visibility threshold. And then there were three other debates they didn't even tell us about. It was done in complete collusion with this fake Trumper, I would call him Dirty Deal, and Elizabeth Warren. Long before the primaries, those were three arbitrary criteria debates. We weren't even told about those. So yesterday, we get a very interesting letter um, from the counsel to the president of the University of Massachusetts saying, oh, we decided to cancel the debate that you were interested, that you were conditionally invited to and we decided to cancel. This is what the funny thing is my lawyer was saying, after the primary and right before we received your letter. So they didn't want to even acknowledge the fact that our letter precipitated them. So um, the so they have a serious problem because that was a criteria debate, which we, w- we should have gotten on anyway. Mm-hmm. There are three other debates that we were not even invited to. Right. Um, so I think our case essentially just got stronger. I think so, too. I think so, too. Uh, it's hard to get a voice. I know you're running, I believe, as an independent, and uh, it's hard to have a voice, but you've certainly made an impact. And your holistic approach, that I, I pointed everyone to your website. The uh, approach you take, uh, I, I really uh, enjoyed, and I went through some of the details earlier with the audience, but a couple of things I want to discuss with you are um, starting with, what do you feel is your definition of what you're trying to accomplish in making your constituency your Massachusetts great again. What is your version of that? How do you see the definition, the way we describe MAGA as a group? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Look, when Donald Trump ran for office, he wasn't a Republican or a Democrat. Let's be honest, he hijacked the Republican Party. They didn't expect it. Mm -hmm. Trump is Trump. You know, Mike Closer is Mike Closer. Shivaya Dure, Shivaya Dure. Each one of us are an individual human being. When you look at the Constitution, the people who framed it, mm-hmm. it was done on the notion that 
there was a concept of a creator and natural laws. Um, and if you read it carefully, you know, they probably all had different definitions of what God was, but the notion was that I as an individual, as an independent individual, should have no barriers to connect with my creator. That was at the sort of the core spiritual foundational level. And government wasn't supposed to be in that way. Other human beings weren't supposed to oppress others. But we as an individual should take full responsibility for our lives, be independent, and connect with our creator. And, and everything we did on this earth, whatever vocation we took, was a reflection of that. That was, in my view, the, the foundational mm -hmm. argument of the entire Constitution or and the Declaration of Independence. And by the way, um, Massachusetts, to your question, Mike, was in many ways a cradle of the American Revolution. Yes. And it's not called the Declaration of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. It's called the Declaration of Independence. So our campaign... Um, running as an independent, we gave the Republicans an opportunity, but there are no Republicans in Massachusetts. It's all Democrats with, you know, a little irrelevant wing uh, called the Mass GOP, which essentially serves the Democratic Party. So we went independent. 60% of Massachusetts is independent. Most of us as Americans think independently. And the focus of our campaign is if you think independently, now act independent on all these issues. Use your brain. Use your rational God-given talents. So at the core of our, you know, movement here in Massachusetts is, you know, you think independently, now act independently, declare your independence. And as a part of that, we've sort of built three pillars, Mike. One is we need to really have clean government and safety. They sort of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So the way I look at it, Mike, is that if you look at anything in nature, and I'm a biologist, and I think natural law follows how God or nature Put all of this together and it was always based on the notion you start with safety and food if you think about it when a child uh when an infant is in the womb there's two things that is provided to that cre creature that growing um human being one is safety and security and the other is food right nourishment sure. those are the foundations before we would start talking about jobs and healthcare and immigration and all of that we need to talk about safety and security and food safety, food equality for all. So that's sort of the foundation of what we're pushing here in Massachusetts, Mike. And I can talk more about that. Um, safety and security means it doesn't make any sense to have sanctuary cities. It doesn't make any sense to not support law enforcement officers who put their uh, lives on the line to protect our communities. We as local and larger communities should be safe and secure. Separate from that, we also need to have good food. Um, and those two things are the, the, the almost like the basically operating system, then you can talk about jobs and healthcare, et cetera. So those uh, are the things that we're really pushing in Massachusetts. For example, Elizabeth Warren, Mike, voted for the Monsanto Protection Act. Yes. Uh, Monsanto single-handedly is a company that's destroyed the food supply, not only in this, in this country, but in the world. And Elizabeth Warren doesn't support law enforcement. She supports sanctuary cities. She believes in open borders. She doesn't believe in the foundational elements of what it takes to govern a civil society. That, that she has proven by stepping up to any microphone. And I, I wanna go back to your comment about sanctuary cities. The sanctuary cities are not allowed to use federal funds, especially after a budget is passed. And they've been in the past allowed to get away with using federal funds for many things that none of us ever would agree to with tax dollars. 
and uh, the basis for what they have. In other words, they, they step up and they say, we want sanctuary cities and what does it provide? It provides a safe cradle for all things that are un-American and antithetical to what we all believe and our founding fathers put in place. So uh, with that said, and I, I guess you haven't had this chance in an upcoming uh, debate yet to actually uh, have this battle with Elizabeth Warren, but uh, do you have that opportunity coming up? Is that going to happen? Well, look, uh, I, I, you're talking about the debate. Look, here, here's the deal. If you look at our social media and what we've been doing, we're the ones who really made the battle at, against Warren interesting. You know, the entire Real Indian Fake Indian campaign is the one that's taken by wildfire and neither the Republicans or the Democrats know what to do with it. So um, concerning the debate, they are so afraid because of the strength of that campaign, Mike, to put us on the debate stage. Because if it's me versus Warren and her toy boy uh, deal, it's gonna be no match. And I say that with all humility and without hyperbole, mm -hmm. because you're looking at people who've never ever really had to face challenge, neither of these parties. That's how they collude. And I, I keep saying in Massachusetts, for, uh, in particular, it's not you have two choices, so you have actually one choice. And that one choice is a two-party system. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a huge historic opportunity in Massachusetts to bust it up. Why? 60% of the voters in Massachusetts, Mike, are independents. Only 40% are Democrats and Republicans. And so getting on the debate stage, whether you like me or not, whether you uh, are Republican or Democrat or independent, doesn't matter. But I think the, the, the goal of getting on the stage and the fight for that I think everyone should support, no matter where you are on the political spectrum. So I would really urge, you know, all your audience out there to, you know, we're going to publish uh, today or tomorrow. Mm -hmm. There's another video of my dad coming up, um, basically asking everyone, we're going to give the number of a few numbers, and we want people to pummel those people with phone calls, we demanding that we be allowed on the debate stage. We will do that. We played the last video of your father. I think that was a few days ago when he was waiting uh, to be seen. He was waiting, I believe, in the lobby. Well, he has another video where he has a really cool slogan where he says, give me debate or give me death. He <laughs> says, <laughs> I, I, I really think a couple unique things are happening during the election that tend to work better these days are some of the smaller town halls are gaining a lot more interest. Uh, you know, you take a vote prior to the town hall and one after if anyone was swayed. The issue with dealing with a lot of the liberal, uh, the A, I call them opposition media, and B, just liberals in general, is they're unwilling to talk any conversation based on fact. And so what we've been working with the audience over the last two years is taking one subject at a time and let the liberal choose the subject. So if it's uh, taxes, let's discuss taxes. And in your case in Massachusetts, I know you've been arguing that, uh, that battle as well. And I'd like you to talk on that a minute and uh, how that affects you. But basically, if you start with taxes, how could you stand by someone on a debate stage and as a liberal advocate for raising taxes an additional 15 plus percent, uh, give or take a percent on the corporate ladder? And where's that money gonna go? In fact, uh, Shiva, the fact that we've lowered taxes brought in the biggest tax base in American history recently, and people are still trying to figure out the math on how that still occurred when more money was spent into the economy. So with that said, what is the tax tackle you have ahead of you in Massachusetts? Well, look, uh, like all of these issues, be taxes, everything, the, the liberal or what I call the establishment position has always been to do a, a, a shell game. They talk about lowering taxes, right, or raising taxes to help the poor and the needy. Um, but for themselves, they don't want to raise taxes, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, it's one rule for everyone else and another rule for others. And the reason I, I believe in what I call fair taxes. Let me explain. Okay. Harvard University, the big, wealthy, private colleges in Massachusetts, and I've been saying this for a long time. And by the way, the Democrat who's going against Faker Baker, Charlie Baker, who's a never Trumper governor, mm -hmm. is, has adopted my policy. I say we tax the hell out of Harvard mm -hmm. and we tax the hell out of these big universities who are nonprofits who basically are running big Wall Street hedge funds. Harvard has a 50 billion Wall Street hedge fund, Mike. That's huge. And they have a fake university. And if you really look at it, what I'm saying is not, not a joke, it's a fact. If you look at their balance sheet, they spent about $2 billion in their income statement in running the university. But the other $48 billion, Mike, is spent on investing in Wall Street. And uh, two years ago, they paid their six hedge fund managers at Harvard $58 million. bucks. But when they make profit on their hedge fund, they, you know, if you and I ran a hedge fund, we have to pay 20, 30% taxes. Right. They don't pay anything, Mike. So if my view is tax the hell out of these elite universities who, in my view, um, should all be turned into community colleges because they essentially shield themselves. They think they're better than everyone else and they are the ones who are the fake news behind the fake news. So I say we tax the hell out of them, use that to support all sorts of viable programs that are needed. And th that's a good tax. We need to lower the tax on hardworking people, mm -hmm. you know, small businesses who take risks. And that's what, you know, the president uh, tried to do. You know, he didn't get everything he wanted, but that was the direction that he went, yeah. which is the right direction to go. Anyone who's a small business, you know, you come up with an idea, you put a lot on your line. I've done seven companies. You've got to hire employees. You've got to maintain, you know, all sorts of competitive advantages. My view on taxes is any small business who helps young people, you know, mentors them, you know, gives them apprenticeships, you give them $5,000 tax credits per person that they do in that way because they're doing an invaluable service to society. So I say small businesses, working people. Um, those people like Harvard University who basically are leeches, we need to tax the hell out of, you know, as everyone else should pay. Fair tax. Sure. Not too high, but they should pay their fair share of taxes. I agree. The you met uh, in the city program. I know you're a big advocate of mentoring and role models and other things because all the problems we're witnessing, Chicago included, and all around starts in the home and people are forgetting Definitely. that. You can go in and beautify a basketball court that doesn't make it that this that the inner city is going to be more beautiful. It really starts in the home and your upbringing, similar to mine, me, uh, meager means fighting for everything. In fact, my business partner since I retired was from Mumbai. And he told me he had to fight for a chicken some days just to get a chicken to be able to eat with. And he said, you don't understand a struggle until you've been in my shoes. And so uh, the people that we're discussing don't have that struggle. So I agree with your taxing and taxing the hell out of them on the other end. But you mentioned universities. I want to go back. One thing I'd like to advocate for is uh, stopping tenure at publicly funded universities. Tenure, yep. we have 90% liberal professors teaching things that no student can graduate with or utilize in a proper job. We have more jobs available uh, than people to fill them with at this moment. And I think tenure is really bringing things down and we could really fix something there if we retake a better look at our publicly funded universities. And you said community colleges, which used to be a nice stepping stone towards even uh, a trade or something else over two years while you can be an apprentice and still make a very good wage at an art form that's been long lost in the United States. Look, Mike, you, you know, when I was 14, I learned how to program, mm -hmm. you know, and I learned that 
you know, uh, in a very special program was an intensive. And then I programmed with, with uh, a mentor who taught me and I invented the first email system. So email, first of all, by the way, did not come out of the military, didn't come out of the big universities, came out of a 14 year old American kid working in Newark. And we can talk more about that. But the point is, I learned skills as a kid that I still have. I learned how to do landscaping as a kid. If, if anything, you know, I can, I, I can still run a business on doing that. Mm -hmm. I learned how to paint. The bottom, I'm paint homes. The bottom line, let's be really, really simple about this. You don't learn shit in universities mm -hmm. unless it's a tangible skill. Because a tangible skill, making something, building something, creating something is what actually creates value. Moving money around, which was what Harvard hedge fund managers do, is a leech. So what we've fundamentally done is we have created two sets of leeches in this country. The hedge fund guys like at Harvard, and then what I call the lumpen proletariat, who, who are not even working people. So many of the DSA people, the liberals, the lefties, they don't even know what Mark said, by the way. He talked about working people actually work. He didn't talk. He had another term for non-working people, Mike, who were lumpen. And that's who they support, which means the other set of people, gang members, people who live off welfare, mm -hmm. people who rig and take advantage of the system. And we as working people are getting squeezed in the middle. And, 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 and the squeeze is occurring by creating a whole additional new strata of people who have no skills. So, and that is being perpetrated by the elite universities. And by the way, Mike, most of these elite universities should be turned into community colleges because they're federally funded. Harvard gets about a billion dollars in federal funds. Think about that. So why should they get the cover of a private university? All of them should follow the same norms. And I believe that tenure, not only to public universities, but any federally funded university should be eliminated because tenure is a way of creating the old priesthood. You see, the entire university system um, is akin to the old Indian caste system. In the Indian caste system, you have the priests on top, who are supposedly the scholars, then the, the business people, warriors, and then the deplorables, the untouchables. And what we're creating in America is a neo-caste system. At the top of it are academics like Elizabeth Warren, you know, the elites, and they are the fake science who feeds the fake news. So the big publicly funded universities like UMass, who thinks they, they're going to control the debate, or big federally funded universities like Harvard, tenure should be completely eliminated in them because what we're really supporting is a new caste system of a bunch of elites who get to sit on their butts and tell all of us how much they know better because they don't have to work for a living. After uh, seven years, if they make it through tenure, they get essentially a beautiful roy royalty life, mm -hmm. better than royalty, for the rest of their lives. They do. They also have carte blanche to do and say certain things that they uh, don't have any uh, uh, you know, consequences for. And I'm so glad you agree with me on, on the tenure subject. Well, let, let, let me just follow up that in a very tangible way, what Elizabeth Warren did using her tenure. Many people, you know, we, I've, I've hit hard on the fake Indian, but she's also a fake scientist. In 2005, she wrote a scientific paper, um, and everyone should listen to this, where she, she did research on medical public health research. Woman has no qualifications for this. And her paper concluded that 42% of small businesses go out of business because they don't have medical insurance, high medical bills. Four years later, she anteed that up and she wrote another paper in the American Journal of Medicine um, saying that 62% of small businesses are going out of business because of high medical bills 
lack of insurance. Those two papers, Mike, were used in, uh, to formulate Obamacare. They were like the pillar papers, which forced all of us to go get insurance. Mm-hmm. So the entire insurance model, we need insurance, we need insurance, big insurance, came from those two fake papers. The reason I call them fake is in March of this year, three other uh, people went back and looked at her research. And it's completely fraudulent because the way she did the research is not any mathematics, not any looking at actual credit score statements, finances. She basically asked someone, hey, she said, hey, Mike, uh, why'd you lose your business? Oh, I think it was high medical bills. It's called a survey methodology, which has been proven like polls to have riddled with errors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. I don't think the audience knew that uh, whatsoever. And, and uh, they had. That. And, and, and because it had the Harvard stamp, every, you know, sort of quote unquote journalist just cuts and pastes. So if you want to think about the dynamics, you have the fake news and the fake news behind the fake news comes out of elite universities. Because once you put Harvard, MIT, Yale, Stanford, everyone thinks that must be truth. And very few people understand that scientists and academics are paid to play. And the notion of a true academic who exercises academic free speech is gone. And that started around the 1970s. We eliminated all the rabble rousers in universities. We only put the robots in there. And most of these people aren't smart, but they are very good at manipulation. That's the characteristic of a scumbag academic. And I use that word in a very technical way. Mm-hmm. because these are the people that are the fake news behind the fake news. And this is a message that I think we all need to wake up to, that we fund a bunch of people to sit on their butts and tell us what truth is. That, is, that was a good experience to learn that because I don't think anyone knew the, you know, the news behind the news. Uh, too many people the last few decades have been conditioned to watch the TV box and used it as gospel. We found out with President Trump's health <coughs> process that they are the real opposition to all and they can float the message to 90 plus percent of the people's eyes and ears and get what they want out of it. They've done very, very good at it to the detriment of our kids because too many kids are going home questioning gender and dealing with things that they never would have dealt with unless society made it acceptable from the mouth of the former president and from the opposition media. And that's one of the things that brought us to the point where we're at with having to deal with millennial attitudes, uh, uh, entitlement, uh, thoughts and feelings over facts, and we've been dealing with this a long time. And, and the kids, unfortunately, are still being taught in school even to go home and think about changing a gender or wearing different clothes and acting as someone that you may not be in a fantasy land that's well beyond what we all fantasized as a kid about being an astronaut or doing things you know, within a job environment. And uh, um, are you seeing that impact also in Massachusetts in a way through the education system? Yeah, I mean, look, um both of these political parties, and by the way, we should really emphasize that political parties, both of them, work hand in hand to distract us from big, big issues, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue of gay rights, the issue of transgender issues, right? Um, they affect less than 3% of the population. Yep. It's, it's a small percent of the population. Yet, we don't give the same equal emphasis on how our food or Monsanto pollutes our food. We don't talk about the violation of free speech, how Google, Facebook, these companies are completely taking over the communication pathway between me and you, right? Right. The big issues are not discussed because both political parties collude to create issues that are meaningless to working people. So they create the abortion issue. Yeah, it's an important issue, 
right? And transgender and, and the whatever, what, whether you wear a condom or not. Um, and then you have issues like raise and lowering taxes. Yes, that's an issue, but we leave out big, big issues, Mike, frankly. We don't, they have like four issues and then they split all of us up and it's never about bringing us together against big issues. Uh, there are trans partisanship issues, right? Mm -hmm. so they rather talk about transgender issues than trans partisanship issue, which means issues that bring us together. The notion of, hey, Google and Facebook own all communications on this planet right now. That's an issue that all of us should be concerned about. Long before, you know, having, mm -hmm. you know, this lengthy discussion about transgender and bathroom studies, you know, that we do. Right. We totally agree. In fact, the fact that they celebrated it with an opening and a ceremonial bow at some of the middle schools was really abhorrent and disgusting. And the fact that parents didn't get involved is still shocking to me. Like I said, it belongs and starts in the home. And the fact that the homes aren't getting involved is a scary notion at this point. Uh, I have a grown child, so he's in his mid-20s. So it, it's beyond the years that I'm dealing with. But still, a lot of people are dealing with this today. And um, uh, well, one of the things, Mike, you know, um, many years ago when I used to teach a class, we had a bunch of students. It was a great class. It was, a mo it was the most uh, highly attended elective. We used to look at large-scale systems, and students would do these very cool mm -hmm. um, integrative understanding of systems. And one of the things we looked at was you talk about the home, about people graduating high school um, in inner cities. It turns out no matter how horrible an inner city is, gunshots going off everywhere, the home where there was a mentor or a family member who really loved that child, no matter what was going on, those children had a huge probability of making it and getting going through high school and college. So what you say is absolutely true. Everything starts in the home, loving parents, then you have caring teachers and then mentors. And that's where everything takes place, safety, security, nourishment, innovation, and I can speak to that, you know, from my own personal experience. Sure. In fact, you use a term, I believe, called uh, one of your quotes is be the light. And maybe if you want to discuss that in your uh, your terminology that you have on the website as well. Go ahead and discuss that. Part yeah, I mean, we have the website Shiva for Senate.com, which is my Senate site. But on my web personal website, I say, know the truth, be the light and find your way. Right. And that's the whole notion of independence that, uh, you know, I think all the great spiritual teachings um, always emphasized us recognizing that we are a spark of the divine and that and, and that's a big by the way uh, responsibility to take on because now it means that you're a co-creator uh, with whatever you believe to be God as right um, or spirit so that means you have a responsibility to be you know to be righteous to stand up to fight for truth and that's what be the light means so we say know the truth be the light and find your way which means Go within and forget all the news media, forget all the academics, all the experts, because truth is truth is truth. And most truth is quite simple. And it can be found as you observe nature and you, uh, you know, look at things in quiet solitude. And that's my personal experience. And I think all the great discoveries that we, you know, have around us always came from that uh, position of you take control of your own life. You know, obviously you build community with people that, you know, enjoy being with, but ultimately comes down to you sitting in quiet silence with your creator. And that's what be the light means. It's similar to Occam's razor too. You know, usually sometimes the solution isn't as difficult as people make it seem. And I think one of your comments in your letter to the judge was similar to Martin Luther King emulating some Gandhi uh, and living through that a little bit in some of the commentary and quotes. And I think that was a right thing that you just said, brings it home for a lot of people. And 
one of the biggest topics we've been dealing with, as you know, is immigration. And the one thing President Trump started with was rapists and murderers uh, coming over the wall. So, uh, or around the wall without, or the fence. So I started by giving everyone the real numbers. In the last 10 years, we've had 2 million crimes. We've had a couple hundred thousand rapes and 2,200 murders we never would have had if we protected our people, which is the first job of a governor, a president, a mayor to protect their citizenry. And how does that affect today? And what are you dealing with in Massachusetts? Because I do know uh, nationwide, we spent over a couple hundred billion on the refugee program resettlement and on uh, illegals combined on all services. And we still are letting veterans die waiting on health care and many other issues. So how does this affect Massachusetts? Well, you, you got to understand Elizabeth, people like Elizabeth Warren. And again, the Democrats and Republicans um, work together on this. They rather treat illegal immigrants better than our veterans. That's sort of their operating system framework, because those illegal immigrants, when you really think about it, neither. And that's what Trump is trying to resolve. The Congress, be it local or national or state, does not want to solve the illegal immigration issue. Why? Because for one party, it gives them votes. And for the other party, for both, it gives them profit. Right. right. Lower uh, wages, higher profits. That's what's fundamentally going on. That's what's so they don't, Mike, they don't want to solve the illegal immigration issue. It profits the politicians. Um, and, and so we got to understand that the only people really care about illegal immigration are you and I. You know, um, they don't care about this at a fundamental level because it's an issue that they frankly do not want to resolve or they would have resolved it. So in Massachusetts, you have MS 13, you have gangs. In fact, I invited Elizabeth Warren to. Uh, you know, let's have some non-GMO coffee and let's talk about your support for MS-13. By the way, don't bring any of the gang members. So um, Elizabeth Warren uh, and the liberal elite, you know, say one thing for themselves, but around their homes, they have nice fences and walls, Mike, right? Yes. If you look back at what you were, you were saying about safety and security, you know, every human cell in the body, we have 10 trillion cells as a membrane around it. And that membrane nature created so it could watch what goes in and out. This is a fundamental thing to having borders and security. The concept of sanctuary cities is almost letting a virus into your system, right? That's what that's the way I view it in a very natural way. And Elizabeth Warren supports that because that gives them votes. There's a lot of we all know there's a lot of fraudulent voting that takes place. You don't even need your ID to go vote in Massachusetts. Right. And how it is in other states. I go to vote. They just say, oh, where do you live? I could make up any address that I want. So the entire infrastructure um, is moving towards an environment where you take away the borders for you and I. But by the way, they have nice borders around their homes. Yes, they do. In fact, I described it similar to yours. I said it's a metastasized cancer as it continues to grow. Uh, groups like Acorn, groups like La Raza, advocate and fund the opportunity to make sure these illegals get to the places you can vote without ID just to walk in and uh, do, you know, uh, hit the button, so to speak. And uh, I know that's affecting many states uh, in our union, probably at least 40 some of them. And as you know, they didn't even want to participate in turning over their voter information so we could actually all take the time to go through it. Because, it, for example, Shiva, in Australia, if you don't vote, you pay a fine. So they get a high 90 percentile of people voting. Now, I'm not advocating that it must be the law, but wouldn't you want to do your part and be part of the process to vote? And having term limits in the Senate 
is going to be a big part of that. But if the senators are voting on their own term limits and pay raises, that's going to hold back a lot of opportunity for the American people to have that final say, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, the, the Supreme Court, for example, ruled against term limits. I don't know if you know that, Mike. Yes. Uh, because they have no term limits, right? Right. It's the uh, fox watching the end house. It does, yeah. Uh, you know, the founders never put forward concept of term limits because they had no idea that someone would want to do this as for life. Mm -hmm. um, John McCain was in there for 42 years. Yes. Think about it. Um, the notion was you had a job. Washington was a, a farmer, a businessman, a surveyor. They served and they were so happy to go back to their jobs, frankly, because they had them. Yes. These guys don't have jobs, so they don't want term limits. Right, and they, that, don't, they don't relate. That's fundamentally what's going on, Mike. Yeah. Um, we need to go back to the concept of the citizen, you know, who serves and goes back. And that's what Trump did. Mm -hmm. and, and so we're sort of Trump 2.0 here in Massachusetts because what Trump did was, you know, batter a wall uh, to inspire people like me to run. I don't need to be doing this. Everyone, all my friends, my family, like, why are you doing this? Right. But they know who I am, so they're very supportive. But I don't need to do this, Mike. Right. And, uh, President Trump is the great disruptor and interrupter, and he stopped business as usual, you know, of many things. And it's freaking people out. And that is what you yeah. see as the aftermath on, on the TV box that a lot of people are ignoring more than ever before. Um, the last subject I want to touch on a little bit is uh, are the veterans. So we know that one percent protect ninety nine percent of us and they do it around the world. They do it in many forms. And there are many easy solutions that should have been solved already. Of course, the VA and many other things. And I know President Trump's been advocating for it, pushing for it, making it a little bit better each and every month. But there are some better things we could have and should have done as a country that we owed, starting way back in Vietnam, where we didn't treat certain people very well when they returned. And so I want to toss out an idea to you, let you and tell me what you think. But right now, I gave you the numbers of what we waste on illegal immigration and what we waste on the refugee program. Because right now, if we would have paused our refugee program temporarily and stopped the illegal entry temporarily and taken care of ourselves and our infrastructure, you put your oxygen mask on first, you can help others when you're done. But we never took that pause after 9-11. And because of that, we're in this pickle today. So here's what I'm asking for out there is to use that money to A, let make sure that veterans never pay a tax again. So veterans should be a tax free and we can afford it based on how the numbers lay out. They should not pay taxes. Second, beyond that, I think we should give them the jobs of the TSA and protect our airports, our ports, our bus stations and train stations with veterans. If we do that in the in the in the best way, we're going to feel protected. We'll have the heartbeat of America in the places in which we travel. And I think it will you know how it is, Shiva, you travel a lot. Every airport experience is different, but if you go to other countries, they're very adamant about how it works, and we need to make the changes here. So that's the least of our worries when we travel for vacation or for business. Yeah, Mike, I, I think you're hitting on that core issue that we talked about at the beginning of this call, safety and security. Mm -hmm. That's like foundational to any organization. Um, and I think philosophically what you say makes a lot of sense because the veterans already risked their lives for this country, you know, to keep us safe and secure. Um, the concept that you're saying to use them in the TSA model, because a lot of those people, you know, I don't know all of them, but I would tell you that the veterans probably would truly be concerned of our safety in a, in a very deep way. Mm -hmm. So I think that model makes sense. I, I love the concept of not taxing them mm -hmm. um, because I think they deserve that at least, right? These people yeah, risk their lives for this country. Mm -hmm. 
The, the other thing, Mike, is with veterans is a lot of them have immense knowledge, you know, of all sorts of things. Um, a lot of young people don't even understand what took place in Vietnam. It's, 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 it's a war that should never be forgotten. True. Um, a lot, and um, I would also say uh, many of those people should be provided a, a vehicle to participate in mentoring and apprenticeships or teaching because many of them share a wealth of knowledge. You know, when, when I was growing up, my uh, sixth grade teacher, Mr. Roth, you know, saw the, the bomb drop on Hiroshima, mm -hmm. you know, and the stories he'd share with us really made that war and what took place much more real than just reading it in a history book. Mm -hmm. So you, we still have a whole bunch of people who've seen <clears throat> a lot of horror, a lot of things in their lives, um, and they carry that with them. And for them, it'll be very healing to be able to share that with young people. And I think for young people, it'll provide them a huge opportunity to really understand what took place, that there were actual people who were fighting. Um, a lot of people don't even know what Agent Orange was. You know, right. Monsanto and Dow created one of the worst chemicals, not only to defoliate the Vietnamese landscape, right? By the way, that was another war which we didn't really need to be involved in, and a war, war that was prolonged by the military-industrial complex so we could drop mm -hmm. and sell more weapons. And we destroyed a lot of our veterans. You know, um, I, I know veteran friends who carry around their cards. I don't know if you've seen these cards. It lists all the potential diseases they could get from Agent Orange. Yes. And that same company now retooled themselves, Monsanto, and dropped glyphosate and, you know, Roundup, as it's known, on factory farms, which is what we eat. A, a guy just won a $300 million lawsuit um, against Monsanto. But the veterans don't get afforded that same legal base to, to defend themselves from what happened to them in Vietnam. Um, Michelle, who's my, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, partner, significant other here, her uncle died, was in the war from Agent Orange. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that's happened to veterans that should be addressed right away. So I think paying, let's start paying reparations to them, which is what I, what I hear you saying yes. with the free taxes. Yes, that's part of it. My uncle served. He's dealing with the effects of Agent Orange. Uh, his his welcome home party was the worst welcome home party of a lifetime because they weren't honored as veterans. And that's why the advocation for the parade was kind of a big to do. Uh, and at the, So that's one that's one piece of it. And I think we could do something much better there. Also, back to PTSD. One last thing on that is that something we can afford to do is that there are many veterans that don't go to their visits on time on purpose. Some of them become shut ins won't leave the home, don't have dialogue with people. So I advocate for a uh, home doctor visit and it's called a follow me home visit. Basically when you return, you're gonna have a doctor that pays the old school house call visits to those dealing with certain effects and they follow, they're with you, they make visits to your home until those are no longer needed and they can be done on your own. Uh, there's a lot of that more than you think. Well, well, Mike, one of the important things what you just said is mm -hmm. we have a doctor who's one of the, our volunteers, one of our supporters, mm -hmm. Here's a guy, I don't know if you know the opioid addiction. Yes. Is, you know, the way that they deal with opioids is take the addict, um, you know, quite a number of veterans, right, get on opioids yes. and send them off to rehab or put them on methadone. This guy did precisely what you said. He called it detox in the home and where he sent nurses and doctors into the home, he brought it down to a 50% recidivism rate. He helped 250,000 people. The state of Massachusetts, this is a story everyone should mm -hmm. hear about, put this guy in jail because he was having such good effects on 
stopping the opioid addiction. And, but his whole model was he went into the home because he realized that when you take the addict out of the home and you send them to rehab, you know, 98% of them go back to it because in the home is all the behavioral uh, messaging to get you back addicted. So he would send people into the home to do checkups, to make sure they're following a lifestyle and get the family involved. So the concept, what you're saying is a very important one to send the doctor, be it for, for vets with, you know, PTSD. And for that matter, it's very closely linked to the opioid addiction problem because these are addiction issues. These are mental health issues where people need support in the home and need to be followed up in the home to make sure that they're following the program. That's an excellent study. It reminds me of the prison system. You know, we're very good at incarceration, Shiva. We're just not good at rehabilitation. And we haven't yeah. figured out the methodology. Well, we, we, well the, remember, the goal was we created the prison system to get slave labor. Yes, yes. Good point. A lot of people forget that too, and I think we imprison the most here. And uh, look, look at uh, look look at the cost. It's over sixty k per person that sits in a federal prison, and a lot of low level offenders actually could be part of building our infrastructure and could be part of a rehabilitation process. And the recidivism rate would be quite low if they themselves uh, get involved in learning a trade. It could be uh, pouring cement. It could be carpentry. But there are ways to get yourself back. And the longer they sit in there as a low-level offender, the chances are they're going to make it to the next level of offenses uh, one day. That's unfortunate, but true. Well, Mike, you know, uh, there's a joke that goes when Trump got elected. Um, most people say, okay, now you're elected. Now, now that's all fine what you said. Now let's get on to doing what we want you to do. The problem was Trump never got the joke, they say, that he actually thought he was actually running to actually do something. <laughs> right. So the the swamp, um, I say Massachusetts or Harvard and these big universities in Massachusetts are the sewer that feeds the swamp in D.C. So you've got to, you know, if we really think about it, all the uh, things that we talk about that we've talked about today mean nothing unless we uh, build a movement, because that's where movements, movements are ultimately things that change the world, not even politicians or, you know, the electoral process. And what we're doing in Massachusetts is developing as a part, you know, as a next step in what uh, the president did or, or Donald Trump did to build a movement here to really go after the establishment because the establishment is one in Massachusetts. I don't know if you saw this great drawing that Ben Garrison did. I don't know if you yes, can see it. Yes, I posted it. I did post it. Yeah. For you. Yes. And it pretty much says it all, it right? Does. And it's, 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 it's Harvard, the sewer that feeds the swamp because that's where they create um, and you have this picture of this dirty deal guy with Warren. And, and the, one of the points I want to make, Mike, is to your earlier point, you talked about the media. Mm -hmm. If anyone wants to do a study and really get this, in Massachusetts, you can see how the media colludes with both parties to keep out independent thought, which is basically free speech. That's why they want to keep me off the debate stage, because on the debate stage, we're going to be hitting both of them talking about issues that really matter. Mm -hmm. So you can see... How, how the mainstream media tries to make me invisible. It's not even fake news, it's invisible news. Right. You can see how both parties colluded before the primary to keep me off the debate stage. This is just un-American. It is, and it's the same at what Google's doing and social media is doing uh, to conservatives and yeah. many others. And you know, I equivalated it to the sewer last week, and I told everyone, I go, we did, we did drain the swamp, but when you get to the sewer, just like your own sewer drain pipes in your house, it is the murkiest, dirtiest, most disgusting stuff that you don't want to handle without, you know, without gloves. And we're at that point now, and it's the dirtiest of the dirty to get uh, unplugged 
So for you not to have the voice you deserve, uh, A, this is a big platform here. So we're one of the largest on Periscope. We get hundreds of thousands of views plus per episode uh, and millions throughout the week. If you would like to use my platform, come on anytime. If you have something to release that I could put out for you, if you know of an opportunity that we can put together to help uh, get it out there more bold and uh, you know bigger for you, I'm more than happy to do so. The well, audience, well, Mike, I want to go ahead. Start, start with one message with this diagram here. Yeah. One of the things I want to tell people is what's going on. We know our path to victory. Nearly 14 to 20 percent of Democrats don't even like Warren. This guy, Dirty Deal, his, his name is Jeff Deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to point out three things that everyone who's MAGA should get. What the Massachusetts swamp is doing is they're into a new type of innovation. It's called a fake Trumper. In Massachusetts, 800,000 independents voted for Trump. Think about that now. One million people voted for Trump. 800,000 were I's, independents. Only 20% were R's. And the people who voted for President Trump were not supporting the Massachusetts GOP. They were anti-establishment. Sure. What the establishment has created is this guy called Dirty Deal, who's a failed sign salesman, state rep, couldn't even win a state Senate seat. Here's the background on this guy. He faked a Photoshop picture with President Trump to act as though he was a Trumper. Mm-hmm. He endorsed Charlie Baker after the primaries, after he got on the ticket, mm-hmm. okay? Charlie Baker is a never Trumper who told everyone in Massachusetts not to vote for Trump. This guy endorsed him. His campaign is run by a Saudi lobbyist, and you can look it up. Mm -hmm. Holly Robichaud lobbied against um, 9-11 victims' families. Wow. And the third most important, probably the fourth most important thing is the mainstream media, Elizabeth Warren, and the mainstream media calls him the Massachusetts Trump chairman. It's an absolute big lie. We have the official letter from the Trump organization. This guy was actually never appointed an honorary chairman or anything. We've written to the mainstream media. We've shown them all the documentation. Vincent DeVito, who was in the White House, who just left to go private, was a Massachusetts Trump chairperson. So the question is, why is the mainstream media and Elizabeth Warren promoting this guy dirty deal as a Trumper? And, and that's being promoted by even this uh, a fake Trumper talk show host, Howie Carr. Uh-huh. He gets paid by Dirty Deal. What we're witnessing in Massachusetts, you're looking at the real Trump loyalists, but the mainstream media and Elizabeth Warren, the fake Indian <clears throat> and the fake news is promoting Dirty Deal to mislead the real Trump loyalists, the MAGA people, back into the establishment MAGOP. Mm-hmm. This is probably the biggest news, Mike, that you need to get out to your base. And we need to expose this guy, Dirty Deal. He's a controlled opposition. He was set up by Charlie Baker, so next year he gets to run for lieutenant governor. Okay. He has no intention of winning. The goal is we can win if those 800,000 people come out and vote for us, Mike, but they're being misled by a fake Indian and fake news using this toy boy, Dirty Deal. That's very educational for the group that didn't know some of the inside pieces and parts of that that machine there, because uh, the dose we get of that is not the story you just told, which is he was not the Trump chairperson. That's the big, big lie. That's the lie. Not the Trump chairperson, not the Trump chairperson. He endorsed never Trump or Charlie Baker. He's run by a Saudi lobbyist. He has no pictures with Trump. So he photoshopped a picture We had a forensics lab. Look at it. There's three hands of the president in the picture. Complete, complete ruse. So we got to get the word out to all the Trumpers in Massachusetts 
that they're being misled by a fake Trumper. That's important. Uh, you 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 actually have some great support outside of your state that you may not even know about yet. A lot of them reach out to me saying you got to meet uh, with Shiva. You got to have him on. And uh, I loved your approach. I like how you describe things. I like uh, understanding where you came from because it makes you stronger of uh, what you're trying to accomplish. And and not getting on the debate stage is is wrong. And we got to figure out uh, how, you have very little time left. You well, know. we got to raise help. One of the ways people can help is if people have seen, we have these magnetic signs that say Shiva, only the real Indian yes. can defeat the fake Indian. Yes. When we put these up, Mike, we put it up on our bus. The city of Cambridge said I had to take it down. The building inspector, we sued them in federal court. We won. So we're, we're you know, we're fighters. Everyone I think on your uh, watching is a fighter. I'm a fighter. You're a fighter. Yes. One way people can help us, we have magnetic signs of these. Yes. And get as many as you want even if you're outside of Massachusetts and put them on your car. I think there's, there's like, I think it's like less than 20 bucks online. If people want to come to my home, I'll give them to you for free. Mm -hmm. Okay. But we want to get thousands out there because you basically weaponize your car. And this is really a, an invitation to have a real political discussion because it exposes Warren as a real racist. You know, it brings about all the things we've talked about here. It's a great meme. Only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. It's a, it's a great, it is a great meme. Uh, I'll, there are some uh, people that watch my show, I know that are in your state. And again, if you can get some of these, we'll make sure to broadcast it over our show and point you to, you can go to shivaforsenate.com as well to get more of the details about the platform, uh, his approach to everything, upcoming events, uh, and many other things, uh, which I appreciate. Why don't you end uh, you know, the discussion and just kind of let the people know what's uh up and coming for you, what we need to do most to support you to A, get you on that stage or B, at least uh, get you uh, even, I want, I want this to be a national topic because everyone's making their local race a national topic. And I think yours has the best ability to be the national topic, not the Texas one. The Texas one should work itself out on its own because Texas should always be red and chances are Cruz will pull that out. I think yours should get that kind of opportunity here. So tell, uh, go ahead and give the last few words of, uh, you know, letting the people know how we could help the most. I, I think the, the best way people can help, Mike, is first of all, go to shebaforsenate.com. If you know anyone in Massachusetts or you are from Massachusetts, you can send an email right to me, shiva at shebaforsenate.com. Put a lawn sign on your home. Uh, it's unbelievably valuable. We have small lawn signs, two by four, and we call them totem poles, where we have, you know, this. <laughs> only the real Indian and you can get, and we'll, we'll literally come there and install it for you. We make it really easy. That's number one. Number two thing people can do, as I mentioned, is to get the magnetic signs. But all of you, if you know people in Massachusetts, let them know that dirty Jeff Deal is not a Trumper. He betrayed the president. He, by the way, went in and stole his data. He was thrown out of the office. We have a fake Trumper. We have a Judas. We have a snake in the midst. And we need to expose that so they don't get misled. And that's our path to victory, Mike. So the order of the day is help, you know, lawn signs, magnetic signs, get the word out. But the message really needs to be to break anyone who's being misled by the fake Indian, the fake news, you know, fake Trumper. You know, that's what needs to get out there, Mike. Anyone should put it on social media. And, and, and I think the hashtag that you guys can help us with is, is hashtag let Shiva debate. I've seen it organically come out. And the other hashtag is Occupy Warren. You know, my dad is doing this on, this, on his own, yes. independent of me. He just believes it's a major act of corruption. He's doing it on his own, independent of the campaign, in fact. 
So there's another video I just got, which I'm going to be putting up. Okay. But anyone who have people in Massachusetts, I think my dad uh, is doing, you know, going on his own there. If he goes there and I tweet out, people should join him in Warren's office and support him. Absolutely, they should. They enjoyed the uh, the last video too, and I'm glad he's doing that. Uh, and what you said, I like uh, what you said. There's ways to get involved. Social media has been a powerful tool, and uh, in, and sometimes it works in the opposite, you know, favor. But we certainly can use those hashtags. Uh, our hashtag is Closer Nation, capital C, capital N, and we get okay. thousands of uses per hour of people using it. So what we're going to do is we're going to push that out after the show. We're going to go after what you mentioned regarding uh, Dirty Deal. Uh, and on top of that, those of you that want to contact, please go on the website again, uh, shivaforsenate.com. And uh, I look forward to having you back on again. If you know of an upcoming event you need me to promote, get the word out, send me a note. I'll be glad to speak about it for you. Thanks, Mike. And it's an honor to have you on the show. I can tell the audience was thrilled to have you. So thank you very much for coming on. Let's yeah, and I, yeah, and I apologize for the technical difficulties. No worries. Let's, we'll do it again, Mike. Thank you. you got Thanks, it. everyone. Thank you to Debbie Pepe, by the way, for connecting us. Yeah, absolutely. I'll thank, thank her as you. well. Thank you. Okay. Take bye care. Bye. All right. Bye bye.